Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, White Sox fans, recording is in progress. Believe in White Sox, podcast number two. I am Brett Ballantini, your host. Co-hosting with me again is Tommy Barbie. Welcome, Tommy. Thank you. Hello, everyone. We're going to, believe me, we're going to get to Tony La Russa. I mean, I know that's what everybody wants to hear. We're going to get to Tony La Russa, but we are going to push that to the end. We're dirty. We are dirty. We're going to wait, make you wait. So you're, we're going to get to Tony. Plus, here's the challenge. We got to sort of ramp up the first half of this podcast, just talking White Sox to sort of establish a PG-13 or lower level podcast. Because frankly, I mean, let's just break it down right now, Tommy. Uh, hello, Mrs. Barbie. Hello, Pops Barbie. Hello, Mom's Barbie. Hello, uh, Barbie sons and Barbie daughter. And I think at this point right now, Tommy, we're pretty much covering the balance of the listenership and why not personalize it? Exactly. Exactly. You know, we, we might get to the point where it's like every podcast has a <laughs> customized introduction for each one of our listeners, you know? I am older than you, Tommy, but you might even remember the romp room days where at some point they had, didn't they have some magic mirror or something where they got to actually say like, hello, Tommy, yes. hello, Brett. And you'd be at home. You'd be like, oh my God. Oh my gosh. They, they know. Me. They're talking to me. <laughs> so we might be able to pull the White Sox believe, believe in White Sox magic mirror out. Um, but you know, at this point by podcast number two, Tommy, I'm thinking we're talking hundreds, if not thousands. So this just might be, uh, this is going to be the rare podcast where we can probably just thank all the listeners personally. So thank you, Barbies. And let me ask you this, Tommy, because I'm really, I'm usually good about making sure I got pronunciations. And Barbie seems very straightforward. But, you know, if it's Barbe, uh, bar, 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 Barbie, or uh, Barb and silence, I mean, I got to know. Because I'm, I don't want it to sound like I've, I already blew it uh, with the with the Southside Sox uh, La Russa podcast uh, by blowing <laughs> a name. So I don't want to keep doing that. So we're just no. we're Barbies. We're Barbies. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, if I wanted to be pretentious in French, which you know <laughs> it, it is based on French, then you know we could do the Babe angle. Okay. But otherwise, no. Barbie right. is totally fine. All right. So welcome back to Believe in White Sox. I'm Brett Valentini with Tommy Barbe, and we are going to be talking. White Sox now, and let's jump into it, Tommy, and let's talk about this last week in White Sox baseball. We had a, a sort of CFC uh, series against Kansas City where it seemed like the White Sox were maybe falling into some ugly uh, past habits of not converting runners, offense yep. that was not executing very well, did manage to scrape through uh, the Royal Series with a split, then really had a sweep laid out for them with Minnesota and found sort of a way to snatch uh, uh, defeat from victory to just take two out of three there. But really all in all, given the circumstances and given some circumstances we'll get to later, uh, not, a, not a bad week. No, not bad at all. I mean, I think it's only disappointing based on how the White Sox played up to those respective series where they had been really scoring runs at a proficient rate you weren't seeing a lot of the kind of miscues that were happening that ended up happening in the both the Royals and the twin series, quite honestly. And, you know, the, the bullpen was, was doing, looked like it was turning a corner too. And then that came an issue in those, those series as well. I mean, how crazy is it? We talked about this in, in 
in the first podcast a week ago, Tommy, and it still holds this starting rotation. I'm going into this week, as of our last podcast, you might look at Lucas Giolito as the weakest link, and he comes out and throws a killer game uh, against Minnesota. Exactly what you needed from him, what we've come to expect from him, and how he started this season. Uh, it seemed like some of his stats took a dip, and I, I guess some of his pitch effectiveness had taken a dip, but it seemed like it was almost... It was almost unfair to Lucas. He was he, he had those couple cheapy homers uh, against yep. Kansas City. Uh, I think maybe a, a little bit of a deceptive story if you just look at the stats with Lucas. He maybe hasn't taken the step back that we think, but it was still great to see him uh, execute the high changeup, pretty much execute his game, uh, just this very last one against the Twins. Yeah, absolutely. And there have been um, some really interesting articles about where he's at with his stuff and like how much of a drop off there really is, because it seems like it's been a really weird combination of bad luck and not quite having the same mechanics repeated that he had last year. And just the combination of the two causing a lot of those cheapy home runs where even, you know, even when he was pitching well, uh, it, it was like, okay, he still needed to get out of certain innings where typically you're used to him just kind of cruising through like he did in his most recent game. And I think it was good for both, you know, the fan base, but also for himself to kind of have that type of game of dominance against the twins where it was, you know, eight innings of him basically back to what he looked like last year. And he, you could tell he had that bit of swagger where even going into the eighth inning, he still never lost that focus where you look at some of the earlier games where he was a little bit, you know, a little bit ragged by the time you hit the seventh or eighth inning. So it it was refreshing to see. Suffice to say, if your ace, the guy who's a Cy Young contender, uh, a month and a half into the season or even two months in the season is considered maybe your weak link so far uh, in the season, that's probably a really good sign. It's a good problem to have. And I guess taking a step back, I mean, it's interesting that the roles have reversed and that everybody sort of universally said that there's one thing we didn't have to worry about with this White Sox team would be the bullpen. And as it turns out, maybe the thing that is potentially the most worrisome in the three aspects of the game, I guess if you throw out defense, uh, would be the bullpen because uh, really to a man, there's been some erraticness, maybe Kopech is the exception. Um, but the good news is, and again, I'm not French. <laughs> you just pronounce my name like it sounds. <laughs> but Tommy, it would seem like having a little bit of trouble in the bullpen is a better problem to have than a problem in the rotation because it would seem like there are maybe decreasingly um, likelihood of successful arms coming up from the minors or even through a waiver wire or through a trade uh, bullpen wise. They're just there's more margin for error. They have less impact on the game than your stars. The fact that the White Sox have like five, maybe six solid core starters, it's just got to make you feel great for the, the, the last, you know, three quarters of the season. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I know that even on Twitter, there've been like starting to be like those ruminations of, oh, are they going to get a bullpen arm? They need a veteran. They need a bullpen guy. And it's like, you can find a bullpen arm like the there's always guys out there that are effective and limited runs that's not a problem so you're you're happy like you said that it isn't a rotation guy that you need to rely on every five days you can get yourself a bullpen arm it might have it might be in the minors right now 
or it could be somebody that they pick up during the course of the, the season where maybe closer to the trade deadline, if they need another person, they'll pick somebody up. But that's really not something that I, I think Sox fans need to be concerned about because it will, it will come. Like it'll either be one of these guys like Foster that either gets hot and starts pitching more effectively or it might be somebody else comes up and, you know, next man up and they, they are able to convert in key situations to help move the socks along. You know, traditionally we would probably push this to the very end of the podcast, but let's not do that because we're going to <laughs> keep teasing our audience. And uh, next up we do have the Yankees. And I think right after that we have the Cardinals. So we have some sort of prime uh, baseball nation fan bases that we're going to be going up against. We're going to get the primetime experience, which is, uh, playing the Yankees in New York versus even playing them in Chicago is different. Uh, we're going to New York. That was uh, Aloy's coming out party a year ago when yep. he had his first two major league home runs in the rain. Uh, sort of yep. beautiful. White Sox did well against the Yankees uh, last year. We certainly expect them to do the same because the Yankees aren't necessarily all that in 2021. But what are some things to jump out at you in terms of anticipating and having some excitement for this series? Yeah, I mean, I think not only are they facing the Yankees, but they're also facing Garrett Cole. And of all matchups in the world, it will be Dylan Cease versus Garrett Cole. And I, I think it will have a lot more eyeballs on, on the Dylan Cease experience, where which one are you going to get? Um, you know, Voight's back in the lineup for the Yankees, so they, there is some pop there between him and Judge. But beyond that, you're looking at a lot of guys that have either been hurt or haven't performed at the level that most people expect. And I think that really bodes well for a White Sox pitching staff that even when they walk guys, they're still relatively close to the plate. And, you know, the Yankees have been pressing for a while on offense. And, you know, if they're over aggressive, this could be a really interesting um, series for, for the White Sox pitching. It goes without saying the ratio of hype to actual performance for the Yankees is always at the highest level in the major leagues. And Absolutely. to some degree, they can't help that. Okay. And they're in New York MLB. When Aaron judge sneezes, they tweet out the video <laughs> and everybody has to watch it. Uh, and when Gary Sanchez, you know, falls over in the dugout falls and laughs over. about yeah. it, they got to tweet that video out. I mean, it's just ahead of Javi Baez highlights being tweeted out mm -hmm. by MLB and cut for And, you know, to some degree, I suppose they can't help that, but it would be nice to um, put them in their place and take at least a good two out of three in this series coming up. Dylan sees, I got to say, I like his chances against Garrett Cole because, you know, Let's hype some of the work we do, you know, Tommy at Southside Sox. Uh, obviously, it's not a believe blog, but this is the work we do. And if people want to get to know us better, that's where they're going to check out Southside Sox. White Sox site where our writing is. And we had a piece today that sort of broke down uh, in a very irreverent and entertaining way, broke down the romper look that the White Sox sported on their getaway. They took the tarmac photo team shot of probably... 30, 40 guys all decked out in various uh, resting outfits. And I got to say, Dylan C seems like he's actually taking notice of the fact that he's getting some, let's just say, some really positive feedback on Dylan yeah. C. That's got to make a guy feel good. Even a guy as low key as this, not that necessarily anybody's going to be watching this video, but Dylan C's <laughs> range of emotion is pretty much, I'm even it's not pretty doing straightforward. It very well. It's, it's yeah. about as zen and serious 
as possible. And if the guy ever throws a no hitter, he's going to still sound just like this. And he mm -hmm. probably won't even laugh. So the fact that he's even taking notice of the fact that he's, he's getting some positive attention out there. Let's just leave it at that. That's only got to buoy the guy going into a pretty big, I mean, arguably maybe the biggest start of his career. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if that's apples, oranges, or. No, I think, I think that's accurate. Cause I mean, you know, Cease, even in terms of like the trade and everything else, he's always been the guy that's been kind of under the radar. So this really probably is his biggest start in terms of having the most attention, you know, pitching in Yankee Stadium. And um, I, I do think there will be a fair amount of national attention on, on the series. At some point, Tommy, we're probably even going to just inject even weirder little sideline topics. Because again, at this point, we're pretty much just talking to your family. Hey, Barbés. Exactly. You, know, you guys still, hey, don't go to sleep yet, guys. Don't go to sleep yet. It's not over. Your dad is still talking. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, so probably might get crazier, probably might get into music or movies or who knows. But right now, I think one thing to do as we seg into the inevitable topic that will end this podcast is I just want to find out maybe what your experience was as a as a first White Sox game. So it's so funny that you brought this up because I have, well, for one, you'll you can guess <laughs> probably who the manager was for the team that I saw them play against. Ooh. I'm scared for you <laughs> <laughs> because the answer is just not going to be good. Uh, I mean, the scariest one would be Terry Bevington, but no, that, no, oh, okay. thank God. No, um, no, it was actually, I, the first game that I remember, I don't know if it's the first game that I went to, but it was the Sox against the Oakland A's and Tony LaRusa at that point was managing oh, the A's. Okay. And um, it was a absolute blowout because that was, of course, you know, you had your Bash brothers, Ricky Henderson, Mark McGuire, I think hit like this towering home run. And I just remember it being like the longest, most excruciating experience <laughs> in my life. And, you know, the entire time, like the 1990 White Sox weren't bad by any stretch. So I was uh -huh. just like, why is this game going so poorly? I thought this team was good. <laughs> So, you, so what's interesting is you got in a game under the wire. You actually did see a game in old Comiskey. I did. Yes. I'm, I'm it. I know I've been, to, I went to a few games at old Comiskey and I do remember it pretty well. Um, I don't remember it as well as like old Chicago stadium, which I, you know, I, I kind of regret not being able to like see and experience it because like, it just, to me, the photos of old Comiskey look more pristine than you see, like, of mm. any of the old ballparks from that era. And, you know, just, it's such a departure from what there is now that it's just kind of yeah. like, I don't think people really appreciated what the old ballpark had to offer in terms yeah. of character or charm. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, my first game, the manager. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Guess who the manager was for my first White Sox game. Uh, be careful. <laughs> I, I was just going to say Tony LaRusso just to keep it consistent. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's, that's not far off. Uh, I do predate that. I'm a uh, Southside Hitman baby. So it was Bob Lemon. My Bob first Lemon. game was okay. 1977. Yep. Okay. And what made the game for me, unlike yours, that you're remembering like, oh my God, is this game going to get over? 
I, you know, it, coughing through whatever, I'm sure smoke in the grandstand, et cetera. <laughs> uh, you know, as a kid was there with a bunch of like hell raising beer drinking friends of my dad. And I was just there and I'm sure he was looking out for me. He's just there and just taking it all in. And the, the moment, the one moment I remember was against the Yankees and Richie's disc hit a ball uh, on the roof. And nice. I remember, you know, all of us, what it, I was paying attention enough, you know, you're a kid, I'm sure I wasn't right. paying, attention, paying attention enough to just watch the ball go up and up, up and then it disappeared. And I thought it really was like a, a, the natural moment. It was mm -hmm. like, what happened? And really all the people, all the fans were like, what, what, what just happened? On? Somebody yeah. had transistor radio and they're like, yeah, it went on the roof. And it was just this very strange, I mean, again, I don't want to date myself too badly, but it really was like, you know, everybody had their little, uh, what do they call those, like a corn cob hats or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, you know, and, and uh, uh, guys there with a megaphone calling out the, you know, the lineups, but it really was a moment of a wonder. And, you know, obviously I've seen hundreds of games since, but uh, it was neat to have that sort of moment. And at a time, something that didn't happen, the plate was still far back. Right. We putting balls on the roof left and right. And the fact. No, that, roof shots were rare. So, I mean, absolutely. That I'm, I'm sure everyone took notice of that. Yeah. The fact that one of our guys did it, even though he was yeah. only, only brief, only brief. He had a small window. The Polish, the Polish prince wild yeah. around the bases. But yeah, it was just like awestruck and, uh, and a pretty cool year to be, especially in that era. Absolutely. That was a very lucky season to be uh, a first time attendee because everything after that, really until the win and ugly socks, uh, it was rough going. I saw a lot bad. of losses after that. So 77 yeah. was nice to be able to debut here in Nancy Faust, really get a picture of it because just as you acknowledged with Comiskey Park, just going into that park was really, and you know, when you're that age, oh my God, it's like, oh yeah. Not to be irreverent in the least, even though I am, uh, it's like church. You go in there and like, oh my God, you see the grass. And I saw my first Chicago Stadium games right around that time yep. when they debuted the spotlight. And it mm -hmm. was it was uh, exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. Yep. One day I'll tell you the story about how Tom Burleson got kicked out of a game and I thought he was actually going to come out into the stands and attack me. I was so scared. Oh my gosh. I was pretty young, but I thought he's going to get me. <laughs> I was really blurry like monster. I was it's like comic book and basketball at the same time i admit it was a little silly but anyway we'll talk about chicago stadium some other time but yes interesting first game so i take it yours was a loss mine was a loss too but at least yeah. i guess i had a i had a highlight i do you remember, had a highlight i do remember tommy i have to say i still have my socks nine my bootleg socks 90 yes t-shirt fought outside the ballpark nice uh road tripped up from college to say goodbye to the park so i was a in college for your first game tommy so god i'll hide my gray <laughs> temples but uh but it's interesting you know we were in the park technically you know at yeah at the just, same time you know, tommy just trying to work his way through one hot dog and i was just exactly yeah I was <laughs> doing and i was i was doing a lot so uh okay those are our first games and you know quaint sweet story now let's segue into something that's a little less quaint and a little less sweet it has been covered plenty uh tommy including a couple south side podcast south side Sox podcasts both of which went very blue went very profane even uh even old geezer uh, uh lee allen and again he calls himself that i'm not doing that to him and son which i know i think they try to keep it clean because you know it's father son i can't imagine right i mean i should be doing a podcast with my dad uh and it would just erupt into cussing all the time and it wouldn't be me doing it so and i just have to <laughs> shut the lid 
and be like, okay, walk away. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> Pops lost it again. We lasted We're five done now. minutes because yeah. <laughs> he just hates baseball. <laughs> uh, so yeah, sorry, Pops, you deserve it. Uh, okay. Um, but you know, even they were cussing for God's sake. Yeah. So uh, this, uh, you know, this is going to be a challenge to, to not, to not go blue, but uh, I've spouted uh, my part and um, horrified some folks with, with my take on this. So Tommy, <laughs> I'll yield the floor to you and just, I guess, tell me what jumps out of you is, is what's just happened in Minnesota with Renee Mercedes hitting a home run on 3-0, apparently ignoring a take sign in a blowout game. Which you know didn't happen. There, there is, for one, there's rarely ever a take sign to begin with. You know that there isn't a take sign in a 15 to four ball game, you know, at the end of the game, there wasn't a take sign. That's Larusa trying to give additional credence and reason for him to enforce this unwritten rule mm-hmm. because it's not enough to just say oh you can't swing 3-0 you have to make it seem like he intentionally disobeyed yeah. the manager and turn it into like this power dynamic that that wasn't necessary at all let's jump off there let's jump off with you on this of the main elements here what actually happened in the game mm-hmm. how tony treated your mean I guess that night and the next day, and then even how he perhaps treated Lance Lynn the next day. What jumps out at you about this issue as the most agree, I'm assuming there are many offensive things to you. (laughs) What was the most egregious to you or the most damaging that you think uh, Tony did with this team? So the thing I, I have, just no understanding or concept of how people can continue to defend Tony LaRusso as a manager is that if you are of a certain old school mentality, you know that rule number one is that you don't air your dirty laundry to the media. You don't do things out in public. And for Tony LaRusso to basically railroad his 28 year old rookie that frankly doesn't know any better if it if it is that he violated an unwritten rule that there's no reason to bring that out to light publicly secondly if players are defending him or want to support him there's also no reason to call out those players in a public way and it's kind of you know i think ozzy brought it up in it was either post game or pre game the following day where he was like, even if I don't agree with what the player did, there's no way I'm going to go out and publicly say, Oh yeah, they made a huge mistake. You're going to defend your guy. Cause that's what you do as the manager. Now behind closed doors, you might say, don't ever do that again, but that's totally different than going out and to the press, to the public saying, he made a mistake. I apologize to the twins, which really <laughs> like, like <laughs> come on. And it's never going to happen again. And it's going to be taken care of, which basically just set up this really weird feeling. Cause I, I was covering the game after, and it was to me, this really eerie sensation and feeling where, you know, Duffy threw behind your mean Mercedes. 
and Mercedes kind of looked around and was like, what the heck's going on? And usually when that happens, even if you know it's coming, you see all the players from both teams kind of chirping at each other, saying something, being like, what's going on? And frankly, outside of Tim Anderson, it was dead silent from the Sox dugout. Yeah, and and that was weird. Let's not let that escape because clearly it seems like sentiment is all behind Giolito. Post game was for we like home runs. Lance Lynn obviously came out and said, "Hey, don't put a picture in. You don't want to get you know." Yeah, they've said the right things. We assume Adam Eaton probably doesn't believe that, but he didn't. He hasn't. Nobody asked. Right. <laughs> he doesn't get on many zooms. <laughs> um, but that's a curious thing that there might be an explanation for. But the idea that Tim Anderson is rather profanely making his thoughts known about what just happened. You're mean, you know, what, is he going to charge the amount? I mean, you know, he's got to play. No, he's in the game. You don't see the, you don't see Tony even making a token defense and you don't see anybody else on the bench making noise. Now I don't want to castigate too badly the rest of the team, but it's very, the fact that you point out that Tim did not hesitate and nobody right. else is even like, oh, wait, Tim's yelling. Let's get, I mean, even if they were like a second late, like, oh, let's see what happened. Okay, now we can yell. Nobody got on the top step. I don't know if Tim exactly. did, but nobody got on the top step along with them to uh, to bark. Very curious. And I got to say, that's sort of creepy. And I, I got to throw a much bigger blanket. It doesn't just land on Tony here. No. What in the world's going on with that? And, and that's where I... You know, I, I didn't want to read too much into it, but it was like, to me, that was where the shift happened because mm-hmm. you saw Rocco Baldelli going out there defending his player, like knowing full well, like right. everybody knew it was going on. <laughs> everyone knew what happened. And he was just standing around long enough for him to get thrown out of the game so he could go join his player in the, in the locker room. Right. But you saw a commitment to defending your players where your main Mercedes basically seemed like he was this guy on his own island. And there was kind of a lull from the White Sox after that happened. And it didn't surprise me in the least that they ended up losing that game because it just felt like there was this gut punch that happened yeah. and they didn't know how to react. Yeah, to you're waiting for something to happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just like, those were the kinds of things where I don't think that will ever come to anything during the course of 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 a season because the white Sox as a team Mm -hmm. seem to be so self-reliant within their players that they don't have to worry about like management to defend them but i could see it being an issue in the playoffs i could see it being an issue where if there's a critical game and somebody makes a mistake or somebody does something incorrectly if a player is hung out to drive the same way that your mean is that was in that situation, that can be that can be kind of hard. Yeah, and when you think about a fact that again, this the circumstances. I think I brought up how uh, just I think a game or so earlier, uh, you know, Mankata had blown a blown a sign, yeah. uh, um, potentially prolonged the game didn't turn out that way. But then Jose Abreu gets injured on the slide that is eventually the game winning um, run a batter or two later. Um, and again, he's a veteran. Uh, it's different circumstances. Yermin is a rookie. He is learning. He does have a particular effusiveness that may entail the need to sometimes say, okay, Yermin, here's focus. the focus. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, so understanding it's different. Lucas Giolito, what, four starts into the season, throws everybody, throws Ethan Katz under the bus by saying he was gassed. 
Exactly. Um, yeah. and, and at that time, people were howling for Tony LaRusso. And listen, I think it's fair. Again, the blanket's got to be a little bit broader than just being thrown on Tony here. I mean, we had Katz, we had Grandal, we had Giolito, who was visited on the mound and apparently didn't mention the fact that he was gassed. And then post game, he says, hey, he didn't say, well, I you was know, exhausted. Looking, he didn't yeah. say, looking back <laughs> on it now, I didn't, I had adrenaline, I didn't really have it, but now I realize I was gassed. He didn't say that. He said, I was no. gassed like, like, you know, further fueling the, you know, the crazy White Sox, you know, Twitter sentiment of, oh, my, you know, get this guy out. He's going to kill the team or whatever. Exactly. Fair, but it can be both. And the right. problem is, you know, Lucas sort of got away with that. And that's, mm-hmm. I seems far worse than swinging on 3-0 in a blowout game against a, a fat second baseman pitcher who's exactly. flying the ball 40 miles an hour. Right. And, and that's, that to me is where things get a little iffy. And I, I, I'm hoping that it doesn't become an ongoing theme because I just think it's going to be exhausting <laughs> just even from like, not even us talking about it, but even just from a player perspective, yeah. like that just seems exhausting <laughs> to be like, okay, is this okay? But this isn't okay, but this is, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not sustainable at all. And I just, I really, you know, for all of his faults, like the fact that Ricky Renneria always had his players back no matter what to a fault, probably. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think instead of the players taking blame, he took the blame a lot of the time and it's just, it's a really weird dynamic to switch to this where guys are kind of out on their own. Tommy, it's ironic that that was clearly Ricky's strength. We have swung. It's like 180 degrees. That could have been what got him fired because it was too close, because he wouldn't call out guys, because he didn't sit Edwin. He was just like, Edwin and Carnassian is going to come through. He's going to come through. He's got the bat sweet. He's got that fast twitch. Uh, That, I mean, uh, we're all still guessing why why it could be. People point to that playoff game. I'm not sure I buy it. It's a a single game. They're pointing about how he was in the dugout and he was like hunched over. I don't know. He's like into the, I mean, okay. I, does that make him look lame? What is he supposed to be? Connie Magus in a, in a suit, sit back, like smoking a pipe. I mean, I, there's some weird picking on going on in the playoffs. There has to be something. There has to be something more. And it would seem to me that it might be that intimacy where Absolutely. he can only get so much out of the guys. The guys knew they can maybe get away with a little too much. Now we have swung to the, to the point where it's like chemistry is not an issue. You're lucky if, I don't know, Tony, what, he doesn't slap you on the way out of the, at this point now, he's even measuring offices. He's, he's right. got the ruler out saying, okay, I got an office. You got a locker. My office is bigger. So, you know. I get a nicer meal. I get first class seat on the plane. What the hell is going on? I mean, you couldn't swing worse. And I don't, of course, Han never wanted this in the first place, but I mean, given that <laughs> he signed off on it, he's still taking a paycheck from the White Sox. I mean, right. you couldn't have swung this uglier. And yeah, you do hate to see. I mean, Tommy, the thing that bothers me the most about this is every aspect, every element of this, everything I outlined, everything you reply back to me, it was all unforced. All of it is unforced. There's not Absolutely. a single thing here where it's like, oh my God, I had to, I had to swing my fist. I had to punch back. All of it's on force and it just gets any worse and worse and it's not going to go away. No, because Because every time they ask LaRusso a question, he keeps answering. And it's just like, (laughs) that's that's the part that I don't get. Because even Giolito got to the point where it was like, yeah, we deal with things internally. Like, this is what we do and we handle it and we move (laughs) on. And it's like, why couldn't, 
Larusa have said those words three days ago. Like there was no reason at all for him to answer every time. And I mean, not to read too much into it, but I do think it's pretty damning that you even have active major league baseball players talking about it and tweeting about it and talking about how LaRusse is out of touch because frankly, yeah, the Sox have the best record in baseball, but they're going to need to acquire more players to have a sustained yeah. level of success. And are those players going to be interested in playing for somebody that's like this? And chances are probably not. Yeah. And, you know, another thing people do bring out is, um, would you guys shut up and quit complaining? They're in first place. They have the best record in baseball, the best record right. differential, whatever. And listen, there's no doubt about it. And okay, yes, I understand. Maybe it it does get into the category of, of oh, you know, I don't know, shouting out cloud, shouting at a cloud to some degree, but they could be better. They could, yeah. be, they could Minnesota could be buried further. Um, mm-hmm. let's not pat Tony on the back for doing a good job. Now I could have done a worse job. This could be worse. Sure. Right. Is that is that the bar we're using to say, well, okay, let's keep him on. He's doing a great job because he hasn't killed the team because he hasn't but somehow I, seized control of the plane and crashed it. But I mean, that's also why, like I even brought up, you know, Jerry Reinstorf's owned the Sox for almost 40 years now. They've made six playoff appearances. It's not like this is the Yankees where year after year, they're making the playoffs. They're making a deep world series run. This is a team that sporadically gets lucky and or good enough to make a playoff run. And then you don't hear from them again. So to just be like, Oh, the Sox are in first place. You should be happy. It's like, no, as a Sox fan, you're always waiting for the wheels to fall off and for everything to go wrong. And don't just ignore all of these red flags that are occurring during the course of the season. Try to correct them if you can. Are you trying to tell me, Tommy, the White Sox have not earned your trust? You know, it's, it's shocking, but it's true. <laughs> I mean, the fact that we're going to be celebrating, if all goes well, thank God, thank God for that God-awful AL Central. But if yeah. all plays out, that we're going to now be celebrating the first back-to-back postseason ever, which by the way, is an asterisk postseason because 8,000 teams made it last year. Exactly. But I'd like to see them do it in 2022 to really say, yeah, we did it. Where, you know, we're, we're like following that little, the little, I hate to say it, the little uh, Cubs uh, layout of like whatever they Mm -hmm. had five years in a row or something. Uh, Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. It isn't the Yankees where you go, you know what, this doesn't feel right, but you know, this whole like Billy Martin gets fired and they hire something. Yeah. You know, just, it's going to work out just, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Yeah. I don't think the White Sox have have earned it. No, No, it's not the same thing. And, and, you know, listen, the fact that we've got Rick Hahn and Ken Williams, and of course your eyes are snoozing, napping on a bender. I mean, what did, I don't know what they're doing. They have nothing to say. I, I don't blame them for not wanting to wade into this quicksand, but, um, you know, they just keep sent, you know, they, when Don Cooper insinuated that like Michael Kopech <laughs> had like mental problems, he right. not only got like a heavy wrist slap, but he did not talk to the media the rest of no, the year. No, he was in isolation and for the rest of the year. <laughs> he's a coach, but he's a prominent coach. And yeah. given the fact that Minichino and you know whoever i mean mick ewing was talking like eight times on this i mean yep. you know uh that was noticeable now you can't do the same thing with larusa but the idea that he just keeps as you say keeps going out there 
you know, you pull the string and he just says the same damn stuff like, no, no twins. Yeah. I'm a, I see their point. Oh yeah. I would have done the same thing. I mean, you got people, you got conspiracy theories that he told the twins to do it. Right. Exactly. Which I'd say is crazy, except this is crazy. At this point it could be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I think it's weird. And it's like, we talked about last time. I mean, even when, Albert Pujols was was you know released. They didn't talk to Rick Hahn. They talked to Tony Larusa, being like, "Hey, what roster moves are you going to make? Are you, are you going to bring in Albert Pujols?" Like it, it's just it is turned into Tony Larusa. This is your show, and I don't know if the rest of the White Sox front office or coaches agreed to it and just kind of said, "Hey, if things go awry." this is his show i don't want any part of it but no one else seems to be engaging with any conversations around white Sox baseball and you know i could see that i could see that undermining it may it was like spring training i could see that well okay you wanted this now let's just watch what happens he's he's headed right for the brick wall but this is dirty in your brand and it's not like rick Hahn is like you know it's not like a minor dude like okay well let's hope this goes wrong and then i'll be proven right and and my memo that i wrote will be noticed he's you know he's the guy that's going to fall on people are going to go to him he might say well i didn't want this he's the gm he you know he's going away he got, he he's got to wear it. this exactly the yeah. is on these guys and yeah. i know they didn't want it but I at mean, some point you have to own it yeah i mean i don't know what about his tony's track record indicates that letting him dangle he'll like correct himself like just give him one day he'll tire himself out and the next day he'll be humble and he'll be like hmm you know what i don't think that was the right move that wasn't the right thing to say no right. he's just gonna keep making it worse he's going to new york tommy yeah he's going to new york absolutely this is gonna be a terrible weekend because what they yeah they usually just wrap up media sessions really quickly. oh totally they're yeah not gonna, you know, they're not gonna chase they're not gonna prolong it exactly yeah and we had to, you know, we had to talk about this. <laughs> I mean, it makes for an entertaining end to the podcast. But and I mean, that that's why it's such a difficult topic to talk about without it turning into a tirade or a rant, yeah. because it's just, it is so fundamentally broken, the things that transpired. And there hasn't been any course correction whatsoever. And there's no indication of there being any course correction. So it's just, I mean, what do you, what do you say is going to happen is it, it can't fade away. Yeah. And, you know, younger fans than us, Tommy, they might be like, well, what, where, get off your, you know, quit high hatness on this. The White Sox has sucked for a day. What there have been a clown car for a decade. This is not what other teams might be able to play this. Like, oh, well, you know, the, the silliness is just par for the course. And as much as you point out, well, they don't ever make the playoffs. Before, whatever, before 2011, 2012, this has been a consistently competitive team. A team that most season goes into it, aside from almost the era you came into where they had a sort of ugly formative time where they were really bad and then they just exploded into the 90s. Maybe yep. the era that I was born into, past Southside Hitman, whoa, late 70s, Vec had no money, ugly. But then they, they bought... Most years they're there. This is not a lovable loser fan base. Anybody who embraces that notion of, well, this is the way, even as we say it now, I mean, we can laugh, we can have that gallows humor because this last decade has been rough. And so we can say, yeah. hey, it's the White Sox, but that's not really it. That's not what a Sox fan's about. And the fact that we even have to slip into that with this whole Tony thing, like we got a clown manager. 
it hurts man it does and you know it's like they're not being good in being active or different like and that's why people still talk about like the Drake LaRoche stuff and, you know, all that that happened under Robin Ventura's managerial career, because that was a clown show that normally, even in bad White Sox years, yeah. doesn't happen. You don't hear about the White Sox in that way on national media. And that's what's kind of embarrassing about this yeah. whole thing is that there's already a spotlight because it's Tony LaRusa. And everyone's kind of like, I don't know what the hell this club is doing, but yeah. let's see what happens. And yeah. you're waiting for him to make a fool of himself. Yeah. And anytime he does stuff like this, you're just, you're feeding it. You're feeding yeah. it. Yeah. Like in a general message board situation where, where all teams are participating, they're the routine disses of the White Sox and LaRusse. And of course, I'm a Sox fan, so I, I want to bristle up like, what? but then you, what are you going to say? You're going to look can't like say an anything. idiot signing off on this. Yeah. Like, I can't do that. Um, and you know, you're not gonna pile on either. It's like, oh, geez, when the window started opening, that's when this nonsense needed to stop. You yep. know, I mean, even even Chris Sale cutting up the jerseys, like, ha, but he's, you know, he's a Scion candidate, so it's like, okay, we we can we can keep talking. We can work him. with this. If not yeah. for the fact that you know, clearly he was going to leave free agency. You know, we weren't gonna, yep. we didn't have much longer, so of course the, the you know the the deal needed to be made. Fine, but I mean, under different circumstances, yeah, we got over that. The the hurt, we just know not to give him any throwback uniform days. Fine, no problem. Mm -hmm. um, that stuff was for for the transition. Now we're in the right. window, and and it's still clowny, and, and it it's actually still is worse because yeah. this team is in first place, and it's clowny. Yeah. First place in spite of, uh, right? not great. I'd rather be in first with a clown show than being last with dignity, but it's not, it's not just a, it's not an automatic answer. No. <laughs> to think for a second, like what's better? And really neither's better. No. And it's just like, you don't want it to get to the point where it stops being kind of like a fun anecdote. Like, you know, right now, it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, yeah, if they go on a World Series run, we'll look back on it and laugh. And it's like, that's true. But if, you know, all hell breaks loose in July because somebody else did something that Tony La Russa didn't like and he decided to out half his roster, you don't want to be sitting there where none of the players feel like playing for him or there's an outright revolt. And it's just it's chaos. Yeah, this clown stuff should like fit on the back of a baseball card. Right now, it is projecting to take a, like a whole series of baseball. Exactly. We need it just to be a like a little blur. A little blip. Yeah. You're like, wow, he really got off to a rough start. But man, then they won 15 in a row in the second half. And everybody forgot the fact that he didn't like it when a guy swung on 3-0. Right. Boy, that doesn't seem to be the trajectory here, Tommy, and that's frightening. And they're going into New York, and and I, it didn't even really hit me that they're going into New York on the heels of this. And now it's hit me that they're going to New York on the heels of this. And oh boy, more I guess opportunities we're gonna have stuff to, to exactly. We're gonna have stuff to talk about. More locker room comparisons, and <laughs> we'll be uh, we'll be back at you on Believe in White Sox really, really soon, probably like tomorrow, because there's gonna be stuff to talk about. Um, we will probably try to, to uh, talk with you guys again. Uh, hopefully uh, this listenership is just increasing exponentially. So we're gonna have a lot of people to catch up with the next program and name out through our magic mirror. 
uh, but probably in between these two series, because it's New York, there's probably gonna be some crazy stuff happening. So we probably will have our next program coming up early next week. But uh, thanks totally. again, Tommy, for uh, hopping on again. Uh, boy, one day we're going to have like a 20 minute podcast, but it ain't happening anytime soon. <laughs> one day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just say awesome week, seven and oh, exactly. Everybody yeah. did great. See you next week. But exactly. Not, uh, not yet. Until then, um, we will be back in um, uh, as the White Sox world turns. We'll be back for episode three of Believe in White Sox real soon, everybody. But thanks for listening. Thank you to all the Barbies. You get an extra uh, snack before bed tonight. Uh, thank you for listening and being very polite and listening to dad because when he talks, you need to listen. Uh, thanks, Tommy, for hopping on again. And uh, we'll do this again real soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.